I'd love to have you take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Exodus. We will find ourselves in chapter 20 for, oh goodness sakes, weeks and weeks. And uh, today we're going to begin in the latter half of chapter 19. So depending on how the text lays out in your Bible, you'll want to go there as well. The study sheet in your bulletin will be especially helpful to you today, I believe. This morning we get to begin uh, what will be a 10-week summer preaching series. And you heard us over the last number of weeks talking about this, Ten Commandments, the Ten Commandments. How do we interact with, with, well, rules? We all love rules, don't we? Uh, Because, and I'm going to be a little, uh, you know, I don't want to say sarcastic because that can be a bad word, but I'm going to do it. Um, How do you like being told what to do? You love it, don't you? From the time you were young, people come along and tell you what to do, and you said, yes, of course, correct me. Isn't that the way the human heart works? Well, no, of course, not at all. No, which of us really likes to be told what to do? And sometimes, sometimes when it comes to things like lists of rules, right away we, we, we chafe and we say, who said so? And how dare you? And well, just because you told me that, oh my goodness sakes, maybe it's just me, but I, I tend in my heart to kind of push back a bit. I'll criticize rule. Who made up that? That was a dumb rule. Come on. I think you probably do too. What do you do with the Ten Commandments? Well, today we want to get started down that, that road. And I want you to know this is more than just looking at a list of rules. It really is more than that. In this process, we're going to be looking at certainly how we read and study the Bible. That's one of our goals in preaching here is to, is to help all of us, to inform all of us. about things that will make us better students of the word of God. So how we read and study Old Testament texts, that's part of this. But, but, But even more, the Ten Commandments tell us not only some rules, but please get these things. They tell us what God is like. They tell us what his heart is. That's why we've gone with the art that we have. Words in stone, yes, written in stone, but rediscovering God's heart in the Ten Commandments, if all we do is look at this list and say it's a bunch of rules, we have missed it completely. No, this, this text tells us what God is like, and it also just kind of, we're going to see it today, it kind of uncovers our heart. It does. It uncovers our heart, and it, it shows us ourself and what we're like, and in doing so, it points us to Jesus. So we're going we're gonna to be walking through Old Testament things and, and all and, and, and find our way every single week. We'll be find, we'll, we will find our, ourselves pressed, pressed toward Christ as our Savior and Redeemer, our need for him. Now, if you look at your study sheet, I just want to look at this briefly. We're going to read the text, and I want to pray that God will help us with this. But, but there's a, a, just a word of introduction uh, to the series, and then a few things about the immediate context. I have it in that paragraph called Today's Text, all right? Uh, as we read this, and I'm going to in just a moment, you'll remember that in this, this book called The Exodus, because it's about God leading his children on an exodus out of Egypt. Just wanted you to remember what's going on, of course. Um, it, it has been just about three months since they left Egypt, thereabouts, all right? Not getting real picky on that, but close. And, and the, the, the plagues of Egypt are in the background. They just happen. People, I'll bet, as they walk and talk, they're still talking about, can you believe all those frogs? Have you ever seen so many gnats? In my, I can so glad that they're not here. We're camping. So glad there are no, no gnats. And on and on and on through the plagues. The, the Passover, 
that wonderful moment of delivery, but it was, but there was death. There was death. People of faith, those who marked their house with the blood of the lamb, delivered, delivered, of course. All these things right, right behind them. Um, 400 years of slavery, the great relief of, of not, not being slaves, not being beaten. The Red Sea, God parting of the Red Sea, walls on both sides. Imagine, what was that like? Is it like the movie? Could you see the fish? You, you know how that goes. Wow. Pharaoh's army drowned. And now you've come out, headed into the wilderness, started complaining already because you don't like the food. And now you're at Mount Sinai and you're about to meet with the living God. Okay. Now, all of that leads us to the text. And I'm going to start reading at chapter 19, verse 16. And uh, all the way through chapter 20, verse 17, pretty long section, but I want you to, I want you to, to feel what the people present felt. I want you to, 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 to hear and see, just to feel all of the, the special effects, so to speak, that God gave to help them listen and to help them know who was speaking to them. But let's hear the word of God then, and then we'll, we'll, we'll step into the text. But we read this, Exodus 19, verse 16, on the morning of the third day, There were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain and a a very loud trumpet blast so that all the people in the camp trembled. Then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God and they took their stand at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. The smoke of it went up like the smoke of a kiln and the whole mountain trembled greatly. And as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke and God answered him in thunder. The Lord came down on Mount Sinai to the top of the mountain and the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain and Moses went up. The Lord said to Moses, go down and warn the people lest they break through to the Lord to look and many of them perish. Also, let the priests who come near to the Lord consecrate themselves lest the Lord break out against them. Moses said to the Lord, the people cannot come up to Mount Sinai for you yourself warned us saying, set limits around the mountain and consecrate it. The Lord said to him, go down and come up bringing Aaron with you, but do not let the priests and the people break through to come up to the Lord, lest he break out against them. So Moses went down to the people and told them and God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord, your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them for I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord, your God in vain for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy six days. You shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord, your God. On it, you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who's within your gates. For in six days, the Lord made heaven and earth, 
the sea and all that is in them and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. And then on with more thunder and lightning. Wow, what a moment. I want to pray together. Let's ask God to help us now as we look at his word. Father, it is with great joy that we come to the text and always, always uh, looking to you to help us, to help our hearts. We so quickly uh, tune out or we think of other people and what they need to hear. Our Father, would you help us today, each one of us, to hear, to hear you speak the Spirit of God using the Word of God to point us to Jesus, our Savior. Oh God, do that great work in us, I pray. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, if you look at your study sheet, there are several things that I want to do, all right? As we begin this series, there's some groundwork I want to lay, give you kind of, you know, the keys to the game, they say, when you're listening to a sports broadcast, what are the keys to the game? Well, I'm going to give you the keys to the 10-week series coming up, or at least some of them, a whole number of things we need to, to be thinking about. Uh, you have heard us always in our, in our preaching as we talk about how to read the Bible. We're always talking about context. That is not only the immediate context, but the context of the whole Bible. So I want to say a few things in this category first. Then we'll step right into the first couple verses and then to verse 3, today's specific uh, commandment that we want to rivet on a bit. All of that's going to lead us to communion as we remember Christ and his sacrifice for us as well. Under that heading of what's going on, the context part, uh, several things I want to remind us of. First of all, uh, it's important as we read any, any specific text of the Bible to remember that that specific part is part of a big story, okay? Uh, sometimes people, uh, my goodness sakes, people, this happens all around us. I hear it in churches, our church. Sometimes we lose track of the big picture, and if we lose track of the big picture, the little piece doesn't make sense, all right? So each of the little pieces... We need to remember, the best we know, how they fit into the big story. And there is a big story. The Bible has a big story to it. All right? The Bible isn't just a collection of things that randomly stuck in a book uh, where you open up and go, well, I, I guess there it is. Oh, no, 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 no. It, it, it's really important that you remember from Genesis to Revelation, there's a story being told. And I use the word story not in the sense of, you know, like, you know, once upon a time story, but a real story, a true story. God is telling a story. So... Um, we're familiar with the, the, the Bible being divided into two parts, right? Old Testament, New Testament. We often think about the Bible that way. That's not incorrect. But when you think, you think about the story of the Bible, I find it a little more helpful to think in three parts. Some people use four, but I like three. And it, it goes like this. Uh, Genesis 1 and 2, the very beginning, it's a story of God's perfect creation. Then at the very end... Genesis, uh, Revelation, rather, not Genesis, Revelation 21 and 22, it's the story of God's redeemed, reconciled, restored creation. And in the middle, it's a story of, of God redeeming, God redeeming people. Now, some people use four parts to divide up the middle, so they'll go, you know, creation, 
And then in the middle, the fall and redemption. And then at the end, restoration. Uh, Charles Colson in his book, How Now Shall We Then Live Along with Nancy Piercy, they use that four-part uh, scenario. Others do too. It's not new to them. But, but the Bible's telling a story. So when you read a part of it, let's just say you are doing your devotions through, oh, I don't know, Leviticus. It's important to know where it fits in the story for, so that it makes sense. Otherwise, you walk away saying, boy, so you bring grain offerings. Huh. We don't do that. And you might not think about why. So remembering the whole story. Oh, it's important in our Bible study. So the big story, big story. Now, part of that big story, this next section, man, this is a big deal, too, because we're talking about over these summer months, a part of what we often call the law, the Old Testament law. People talk about the law. We, we don't like laws. Well, the Bible uses that term in three different ways. Oh, this will help you if you can get this. All right. So I'm giving it to you today. You can just kind of jot these down. It'll help you. It'll help you. So there are three different ways the Bible uses the term law. First of all, uh, parts of it are the ceremonial law. That's the first for our purposes today. The ceremonial law. Those are the parts of the Old Testament that talk about how to worship and approach God before Messiah Jesus would come. That would be things like the sacrifices, the feasts, things like that. If you read the Old Testament, you go, wow, look at that. Now, important to know a couple of things. That part of the law, those ceremonies and sacrifices and feasts, all of them, oh, oh, get this, they all pointed ahead to Jesus. They were all pointing. They were like a you know road construction sign, those big orange signs that point. All of those things were pointing. They're pointing to Christ who was yet to come. So when you read about the sacrifices and the animals whose blood was shed, they're pointing the Old Testament, they, they, I think they knew they were pointing, but they didn't know to what it was pointing. Uh, there's a Messiah. There's a Savior coming. But then when Christ came, oh, my goodness sake. Now, the two texts I've given you here, Colossians 2.17, Hebrews 10.1, both use a term, an image, to help you get this. It's the term shadow. It's talking about the ceremonial law in particular. It says these things were a shadow of what was to come, but the fullness, the substance is found in Christ. So when you think ceremonial law, sacrifices, feasts, and so on, those are we don't do those anymore because they're fulfilled. They were fulfilled in Christ. Christ has come. They were paving the way. Second, uh, another part of the law, it would be called the civil law. The civil law. That is, there are parts of the Old Testament that were written specifically to Israel as a nation about how they were to function as a nation. So there are certain laws and, and rules and things uh, sometimes people read the part, it's thrown, it's thrown around in the news these days when people make fun of the Bible. You might notice this. But you read the part about where in the Old Testament they were supposed to like stone somebody who broke the Sabbath. That part of the civil law. People say, well, how come we don't do that? Is We just don't like that part. It's the Old Testament. We throw it away. Hold on. Hold on. No, no. The ceremonial law pointing to Christ. Civil law aimed at Israel as a nation. So we have rules, too, for how our nation should function. They did, too. God gave them those. And I, I mention here just a, just a nod to an area of theology. Some of you are familiar with. Others of you are not. And if not, let it go. But there's a discussion, of course, about how the church relates to Israel you know, has the church just taken over Israel's spot and so on? I believe that the nation of Israel is, is the nation of Israel. It's not the same thing as the church. Oh, there's crossover. Yes, I understand that. But there's, it's not the same thing. Okay? So I, I think it's important for you to know that if you want to talk about that area of theology, happy to do so. Civil law aimed at the nation. And then third, 
You with me now? You staying with me? Moral law, the moral law. The moral law of God, of which the Ten Commandments is a part, tells us what God is like, and it tells us how to live before a holy God. I hope that as I read those, all of those Ten Commandments today, I hope your interest was piqued in terms of, well, what do we do with that? Or how does that work? Or We'll talk about that over the summer. I hope you're here. Moral law then, how to live before a holy God, and listen, for all people in all places at all times. Okay? Uh, so there has never been a time when just killing people for no good reason was okay. That's always been a violation of God's moral law. All peoples, all times, all places. Ultimately, as you see here, the moral law tells us what God is like. Oh, goodness, yes. And then it points us to Christ. I'm so glad. Now, we come uh, toward the Ten Commandments in particular. Some people begin their treatment of the Ten Commandments at verse 3. And I I don't like doing that. I, I think it starts before that. Um, people divide it up different ways. I'm not going to step into all of those historical elements, but I think if you're going to deal with the 10 commandments, you have to start at verse one of Exodus 20, because a couple of very important things show up in the first two verses. Those are represented here on your study sheet answers the question who talks, who says so verse one says, and God, do you see this? God spoke. Oh my goodness. Stop for just a moment. Do, do, you, do you appreciate what a big deal this is? Right? The word of the living God. This, this comes with authority. This should stop you in your tracks. And if you look at the world and if you look at the history as portrayed in the Bible, this is a big deal in the Psalms, in some of the prophets. And we saw it ourselves not that long ago. 1 Corinthians 10. Bible writers often point to the the absolute folly of worshiping a false god. One of the, one of the prophets uses a, tells a little story, and it goes something like this. Picture a guy, all right? He goes out in the woods. He chops down a tree, and he picks up the log, and he carries it home, and he takes that log cuts it into two parts. And out of one part, he makes an image, and he bows down and worships it. And out of the other part, he splits it into fire when he cooks his dinner over it. Same log. And the prophet is saying, why would you do that? You're cooking dinner on the other half of your God. I mean, what kind of God is this? If it falls over, it can't even get back up. You've got to pick it back up again. And if you, if you ask it for help, what does it say? Nothing, because there's nobody home. And the, the prophet is making a point of that to say, come on. Come on. Why would you do that? Whether it's a piece of wood or a, a piece of stone, there's nobody home. There's nobody home in great contrast to the God of the Bible. The beginning, Genesis 1, 1, what's it say? In the beginning, God created. The God of the Bible, very, very different from the gods of the nations that where there's nobody home. Genesis 1, verse 3, and God said, and thus begins a story of a God who is and a God who speaks. Do you... Do you Do you know what a mercy it is that God would speak to us? That he would tell us what he is like. How would you know otherwise? How would you know how to approach him if if he had not said? No, God speaks and thus begins thousands upon thousands of times, literally, in the Bible, where you read the word of the Lord came, God spoke. These are the words of the living God. 
That's what the Bible is in front of you. The words of the living God put in a book so that you'd know what he's like and how to approach him, how to spend eternity with him, who the savior is, who would come. That's what the Bible is. It's the, it's the word of the living God. So God spoke, God spoke. You remember we, we spent time on this in first Corinthians 10 uh, under the sermon title. Of course, be careful what you worship. The reason you got to be careful. Hope this is ringing a bell because you become like what you worship. You do. You become like what you worship. So I'm 96.5. If you turn over your study sheet, the gods of the peoples are worthless idols. The Lord, the Lord made the heavens. Folks, can I, can I just pause for a moment and say, I, I hope, I hope you appreciate what a wonderful thing it is that when you pray, you're not praying to a inanimate object who doesn't hear you. When you pray, you have an audience with the living God. He hears you. He knows you. He knows your problems. He knows the struggles of your heart. In those moments that I have had to, when I have no words to pray. And you say, oh God. I have nothing to say. You know. You know what that's like, all of you. He knows. He knows. He knows. And he's really there. So, so when we come to a text and says, the Lord spoke. These aren't just cold words on a text. It's, it's, it's the living God. The God who is. God who's really there. You know, they say the lights of the universe are on and somebody's home. Isn't that good? Isn't that good? God spoke all these words. The mercy of God in reaching out, even to give us this expression of what he's like. Thank you. Thank you, Lord, for being a God who is really there. Now, he goes on. All this kind of leading us, leading us toward the Ten Commandments. Verse 2. I am, here's who it is. The Lord speaks and he, he identifies himself. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. That is, I'm the God who's redeemed you. Now, this is hot off the press. You remember? Because he just got out of Egypt. So they're, they're busy wiping their brow and going, man, I'm, I'm glad. I'm the one who did all that. Remember those plagues? That was me. That was my finger. Pharaoh would say the finger of God. It was the finger of God. You get him really mad. And it wasn't just about frogs and gnats. No, no, no. It was the finger of the living God. And he did those plagues. And here God says, I am the God who, if you study theology, you recognize the pattern I'm giving you. I'm the God who redeemed you. I'm the God who is redeeming you now. And I'm the God who will lead you into the promised land. Old Testament, but it's a pattern for, for us too. I'm the God who has redeemed you. I'm the God who, who is redeeming you. I am saving you now. You're in the process of being saved. Yep, still working on you. And someday, yes, someday, that will be complete when you're with me. So same journey. Here God says, I am the God. I'm the God who redeems you. I'm the God who redeems you. Now, this is all um, preparing us for the thou shalt and thou shalt nots. One more thing I want to say before we step into the thou shalt and thou shalt nots. And it's on your study sheet. And I'm going to take a moment on this. And I want you to get it. All right? Don't, don't miss it. You got to get this. So it's right there. The God who speaks is our redeemer. Before God tells us what to do, he reminds us what he has done. And God's moral law is given to redeemed people. That doesn't mean it doesn't apply to others. 
They shouldn't murder people either. It's given to redeemed people. But this, this is so critical. It is not, it is not a way to be saved. Dear friends, do you hear this? The Ten Commandments are not a way, if you keep them, to earn God's favor or end up in God's heaven. There are people who think about the Ten Commandments and say, well, I, that's my code. I work on keeping the Ten Commandments. And I'm, I'm, I'm thrilled at that. Good, you know, behave yourself and, and, and all. But don't think for a minute that if you do pretty well or better than others, that you will earn any time in God's heaven by obeying the Ten Commandments. Nobody, nobody earns their way in. Okay? For starters, you can't. You, you can't. You can't. I mean, come on. Don't flatter yourself. You're not all that good. You're really not. Not even on your best day. You're, I mean, come on. You're still a mess. And we're going to see that as we work through the Ten Commandments. Right when you think, okay, there's one I haven't broken. Jesus comes along and says, you want to bet? I know. It's devastating. Devastating to your heart. You go, I, I thought I kept, okay, half. You haven't kept half of them. I, I, can I tell you this? You haven't kept one. Not one. Not one. Not one of the Ten Commandments have you fully kept. Wow. Oh, all of this could just leave you so depressed. That's not the point. The point, of course, is to point you to point you to Jesus. See? No, we haven't, we haven't kept these. All right. I just want you to know it's not a way to be saved. And I want you to know that. I want everybody listening online and so on to get this. Not a way to be saved. Not a way to be saved. Points us. Points us, of course, to Christ. Now, the first commandment then, verse 3, all of that leads us up to the first commandment, all right? Man, that's a big porch to the house, but really important stuff. Verse 3 then, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall have no other gods before me. Wow. Now, many of the commandments, indeed most, are in the negative side. You shall not, right? You shall not. Not all of them are that way. Verse 8, of course, says, remember the Sabbath day and so on. But a lot of them are negations. Um, honor your father and mother is a positive. Others are, in this, this one, you shall have no other gods before me. It's like a negative. Now, I have on your study sheet a, a parenthetical phrase with, a, I guess, another way. It's a, a more detailed translation of that, I suppose. You shall have no other gods before my face. So, lest you think that what God is saying is, you can have other gods, they just have to, I have to be first. That's not what he's saying. I have ten, no problem, I'll have the... You know, the God of the Bible as first and then the rest of, no, no, no other gods, none, no other gods before my face. When I look at you, I do not want to see a lineup of false gods. Now, next little bullet point, lest you think, oh, no problem. I've got this beat because I have no stone gods and wooden gods. I don't have any of those. Those are things people in other nations do. I've heard about them, but certainly not I. You will remember, if you've been around, our discussion of this in 1 Corinthians 10. Gods, small g, God, capital G. What is, what is that? What does that mean? You remember the words of Martin Luther as he gave a bit of a definition of this. Whatever your heart clings to or relies on is God to you. The, that place that is the location of your hopes, your desires, your appetites, that thing you that thing you count on to give meaning to your life or order or structure, that thing that you call upon to bail you out when you're in trouble. What is that? Sometimes it's your stuff. It's all kinds of other things. Anything you trust or hope in. You know, for a lot of people today, you know what it is? It's themselves. 
their own ability, their own strength. We say, we say, sometimes we say, we maybe don't mean all of this by it, but some people do. I've got this. We say, I got this. Oh, you do. Do you? Can I just ask you this about life, the whole thing? Have you got this? Well, hopefully today, I mean, you're here, you got it, you made it this far. But when you think about all of life, all the future, have you got the future? You got that? You got that handled? Do you? All your future needs and struggles and crises and messes and diseases and ultimately death. What? You, you've got this, right? Oh, no. I don't have this at all. I'm in deep need of somebody smarter, wiser, bigger, stronger. God. Well, when God says, have no other gods before me, uh, he means that. Now, keep going. Keep going. Next little bullet point. This is, helps us think about the Ten Commandments, all of them, but this one in particular. This first sentence, oh, this is a big deal. Jesus expressed this prohibition positively in Mark twelve thirty by quoting Deuteronomy 6, 5. Oh, I want you to get this. The Shema, Deuteronomy 6, uh, it's called the Shema in Jewish parlance because uh, it really begins, Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart. Soul, mind, and strength. Hear, hear, O Israel. Shema, Hebrew word. So you talk to a person who understands Jewish issues, and they speak of the Shema. That's what they mean. Listen. It's God saying, listen to me. Hear, hear, O Israel. The Lord is our God. The Lord is one. And this is the positive expression of the first commandment, so to speak. You shall love the Lord your God with all you have. That is, please, please understand this. Every breath you take. This is the first commandment. You would have God first, every breath you take, every beat of your heart. So it isn't just about not having, you know, stone idols and so on. It's not just about that. If you think that's it, well, you know, don't do that. That's the first and second commandment. No other gods before me. Okay, check. Hold on. Check. Really? Do you love the Lord your God with every beat of your heart and every breath you draw? Do you? Do you? How do you do on this? Because I don't. There's a battle in my heart all the time. Because my default mode, as is yours, is to love you more and trust you more. The first commandment isn't just about not having a big lineup of false gods. Oh, it's about that. It's about loving the Lord your God with all you have. And the first commandment... I break. I break. So do you. Wow. Jesus. Now, this, there's a pattern here. And I go to the next little bullet point. These are building on each other. Jesus expresses in Deuteronomy 6, 5, kind of the positive side. And I want you to see these expressions are saying essentially the same thing. An important rule of interpretation. When one thing is prohibited, the opposite is encouraged. So it's... I give the example there about murder. This is a, maybe an easier one. Do not murder. It doesn't just mean don't kill the people that bug you. It also means value life. It encourages the opposite. If you think about the Ten Commandments that way, they suddenly they take on a whole new meaning. They, they really do. They get, more, they get fuller. They get more robust. You go, oh, so it isn't just don't kill people. Don't kill all the, don't kill all the idiots. Don't kill all the people who, you know. No, it isn't just that. Otherwise, you could say, man, I do pretty well. There's one I have. I haven't killed anybody. Boom. 
I've obeyed one of the commandments. And Jesus would say, no, you haven't, probably. You haven't. Have you at every point valued life? Have you ever wished you could kill somebody? You ever wished them evil? Have you ever said, well, hope a truck comes along now? You ever done that? Well, guess what? You, you broke that one. Interesting, uh, there's been a, a, a little discussion going on in our staff meetings in the recent weeks uh, leading up to this because I've been foaming and fussing about some of the books I've been reading about the Ten Commandments in preparation for, for today and the weeks to come. Because some of, the, some of the books and some of the preachers and writers, I think, get this wrong as they look at the words of Jesus. And I, I, I you know, the guys, I know. Relax, Jay. I know I'm trying. I'm trying. And then I read it in another book and go, he's got it right. Yes. Finally, he agrees with me. I like this guy. Wonderful, wonderful book. Um, Yeah, well, Jesus, Jesus, of course, who said, as we'll look at in the weeks ahead, Jesus said, "You've, you've heard that you read that it was written, right? You've heard it said this, but I say to you, here's the discussion in our staff meeting. Was Jesus raising the bar? Careful, careful. Don't answer that out loud. Was he raising the bar? And I have insisted, no, he was not. He was not raising the bar. Jesus did not raise the bar. No, 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 no. What he did was to tell you God's heart the whole time. It's what the commandment was always about. But our hearts are reductionists. Do you know? We, that's what we are. We are reductionistic in our thinking. We look at a commandment and say, what's the least I can do and keep it? Huh? Rather than looking at all, that's where I, God says I meant more than that. I didn't just mean don't kill rotten people. I meant love them. See, love people, love all of them. Love. How you doing on that? How you doing? When I said don't, you know, uh, don't bear false witness. I didn't just mean like in court. I meant I meant be truth tellers. Represent truth in all your I'm, little white lies. Did I say? Oh boy. Yeah, I probably break that one too. As do you. Right on down the list. Suddenly, it isn't just about Jesus. Jesus didn't raise the bar. He explained the heart of God. Jesus said, you've heard it said, don't commit adultery. But I say to you, remember this? You have a wandering eye. Right, guys? Did did Jesus raise the bar? No, I don't think he raised the bar at all. I think that was the point the whole time. It It was God's heart the whole time. Wow. You shall have no other gods before me. What's he after? He's after this. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. The great commandment. There are some of us who would probably walk with the rich young ruler in Luke 18. Who said, good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said, why do you call me good? No one's good, only God. And then he said, well, to the rich young ruler, how are you doing on the, on the commandments? You know what he said? He said, all the commandments I've kept from my youth. Now, Jesus could have teed off on that. You know, boom. He didn't. He didn't. He took him to the first one. That's what he did. Jesus knew he was rich. And he had a functional God. It was his stuff, his money. Jesus said, okay, you've kept all the commandments. Got it. Guess what? You love money. Why don't you go home and deal with the false God in your life? Get rid of that stuff. He was talking about the first commandment. That's what this is about. You love money. That's God to you. Switch that around. He didn't, he didn't even address all the rest. He could have. Now, you look at the response part of this, and we're going to step right into communion. We need a Savior. Oh, we need a Savior. What is it about rules that makes us want to break them? 
What's the problem with lists of rules? Okay, careful. Don't say it out loud. You know what it is? Oh, please get this. It isn't a problem with the rules. It's a problem with your heart. Because your heart is like mine. When I see a rule, I want to break it. Paul addresses this in Romans 7. I wouldn't have known about coveting if the law hadn't said, don't covet. And suddenly I read the law, don't covet, and it awakens in me all kinds of stuff I want. Speaking of coveting, (laughs) man, have I got places to go with that? No, it awakens in us. One of the purposes of the law, there are people talk about the uses of the law. There are multiple ones. Yes, theologians talk about that. One of the uses of the law is to reveal my sinful heart and to point me to Christ. One of the good uses of the law. That's why Paul would later say in Romans 7, Oh, wretched, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? What's his answer? Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. Jesus, 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 Jesus. As we walk through the Ten Commandments this summer, I just got to warn you, uh, there's, there's good in every sermon. There will be. Because all of them point us to Christ. But let me tell you something. The law, the law, God's law breaks. You know, Jeremiah said God's word is like a hammer. James would say a mirror. God's, God's law breaks my heart because I see that I can't keep it. And I don't. I'm a lawbreaker. And it points me to Jesus to say, oh, Lord. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you for a Savior. I hope you know Christ is your Savior, every one of you. I hope you know Christ. hope you're trusting him today. Not only seeing your sin, your need of him, I hope you trust Christ. If, if that's never been something you've done, of crossing that line and saying, God, I, I do. I, I, I cannot ma- imagine why you would not take that step today. In a simple conversation with God who made you, yes, 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 I, I know I've done wrong. Christ, Christ died for me. Thank you, God. I believe that I do. Trusting Christ, him alone. I want to pray. Time for you to talk with the Lord. And those who are going to serve as communion, come, come. We'll remember Christ kind of as an application of the morning preaching. Father, thank you so much. Sometimes we look at lists of rules. We look at the law and we find in it a a, a curse. And there is a curse in the law on all who break it. Lord, I'm under, I'm under that curse of the law. And as Paul said, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. He became a curse for us. We remember Christ today as the one. As he died on the cross. He, he, he took my place. He died the death that I deserve. That I could be forgiven. Oh, Lord, thank you. Thank you. I have no basis to judge another. No basis to say I'm better. Lawbreakers, all of us. Father, I pray that in these moments that we would, we would think about and treasure Christ. May that be so. We pray together in his name. Amen.